This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. 2021, the title of the sermon was Love Letter. That was the beginning of our journey into the, the letter of Paul to the church in Rome, the letter we know as Romans. Uh, we began considering what is this letter uh, look like? What does it mean for us? How has it changed and formed and shaped uh, the church? How did it change and form and shape the city of Rome? Uh, this meek community of followers of Jesus uh, that eventually through their obedience to God's word by the power of his Holy Spirit would change and influence a city for a thousand years. Uh, we began studying this text with that in mind, uh, with his desire to see those who were so radically affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they were able to live and flourish and function in one of the most significant cities of all time, a military power, a uh, center of culture, of commerce, of sexuality, of pagan sexuality, and yet they were called to walk in faith with Jesus, and they did so in a way that was revolutionary. And so this morning, there's a sense in which we're saying goodbye to Romans, although you're free to read it over and over again anytime you want. Um, we'll be moving on to a, a, a sermon series on prayer this summer, but it doesn't mean that we can't continue to learn from Paul and to seek to be obedient to what he says. Uh, today, we see how he finishes uh, this letter uh, to those that he would eventually meet when he came to Rome when he was in chains. So I invite you, if you're able, uh, to stand with me for the reading of God's word. And you may remember last week, I couldn't find my Bible. Well, it was a few pews back, and uh, someone, uh, our friend Stephen Nichols, uh, mailed me one, and Monday I got a new one. So we all will have a spare in the pulpit. Uh, Romans 16, uh, 17 and following. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sopater and my kinsmen. I, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was best kept secret, for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. You, God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would help us to to hear what you're saying, to know and love you and to follow you and to walk with you so that we would be obedient to your servant, Jesus, your son, our Lord, 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were thinking about it, what is the most significant city of all time? Like the most influential? Right? If we were to say maybe today, what are some of those important cities? Right? Well, you might say, well, New York City, because it's a center of commerce, of a financial uh, juggernaut, right? also a center of culture. Los Angeles, we think about Hollywood and the impact and influence for good or ill that Hollywood has had all over the world. Right? Maybe, maybe France. Uh, Tokyo has 37 million people who live there. And so it's certainly a city of influence. But we would, uh, have you ever thought about Baghdad? It was the most populated city in the world at one time. What about Carthage? What about Babylon? Uh, we tend to look at our own generation and say, well, this is the moment that is the most influential. But I would say if you had to put a top five list together, you would certainly include the city of Rome. Because Rome not only has been influential in its scope, in terms of uh, changing the world, especially as these, uh, this small group of followers of Jesus came to know Jesus and to make a difference in their city. And we know that the cultural, religious, uh, Christian influence of Rome all throughout the whole world has been significant. But it's still a significant city. It's still a place that people want to go to and experience because of its historical value. Many of the cities that I, uh, I studied and I looked at and thought, well, okay, what's the most important city? A lot of them are ruins now. Uh, they're just dust and broken down buildings. But Rome is still an important city in our world. And so Paul, as he is finishing this letter, is uh, giving his people two different, two different things that he wants to remind them of. First, he gives them a warning, and then he, and he ends with worship. He ends with a, a, what we call a doxology, which is, I think, a perfect thing for Paul to do. Right Here's this one last thing that I want to warn you about as you seek to live out this faith in Jesus that I'm giving to you, because you're going, he did that, they had no idea really how influential they would really be. I'm giving you a warning, but I also want to give you worship. So what's that warning? What is the, the thing that Paul is challenging them to consider? He says, I'm warning you about those who would cause divisions, those who would cause divisions within the church with their false teaching. He actually says to avoid those people. And one of the things that I love about our denomination, and I don't love just our denomination, I love all people who love Jesus, and I love, there's different ways of expressing faith, but one thing that's a little bit unique about our denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, is that we have a, we have a motto. It's not ours. We didn't come up with it. Uh, it comes from St. Augustine, but it's unity in the essentials, so what are those most important aspects of our faith? And we have a, a list of essentials, and those essentials are really things that most Christians over all time would believe, that Jesus is Lord, that humanity is sinful, that the Holy Spirit is God, that, that God the Father is God, that we're called to, to mission, right? These essentials, so unity of the essentials, and then diversity in the non-essentials. Diversity in the non-essentials. What are the non-essentials? Well, some of the non-essentials are maybe not as important, like should you have tile or carpet in the sanctuary? All those of you think tile, raise your hand. All those of you think carpet, raise your hand, right? It just depends. Maybe you should have a dirt floor. That's a non-essential. Now, I have seen and I know that sometimes we can make non-essentials essential, right? Um, how we do baptism is really important. And we have a conviction about it because we baptize children and not all Christians do 
That comes from our understanding of the Bible, that we're marking children as covenant members of the family of God. But it's a non-essential. It's not necessary for salvation. And so then we want to be in relationship with people who believe differently about uh, baptism than we do because we share Jesus. Unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials, and then what's the last part? Does anyone know? Those of you who've just recently gone through the new member class? Charity in all, or love in all. And that's what I think is beautiful about our denomination because we're trying to keep those things in tension. We want to say these are essential, these are non-essential, and even as we disagree about the non-essentials, we want to love each other and realize that there are different conclusions that faithful people can make as they read the scriptures. And there's different ways to apply the Bible. Um, I heard a, a joke one time about a guy, he was on a bridge, and he was, this guy's telling the joke, he says, I saw this man on the bridge, and he was about to jump off the bridge. And I said, don't do it, don't do it. And the guy said, well, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. He said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too. Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? He said, I'm a Protestant. Me too. What franchise or what denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Oh, he said Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I threw him off the bridge. <laughs> now, I'm picking on the Baptists, but I mean, there's five different Presbyterian denominations in Memphis, right? So we've got our issues too, right? You can do the same thing with any group because the more you get down into it, boy, you can find something on which to disagree. And the only person that agrees with you on everything is the person you look at in the mirror. And you even change your mind about stuff all the time. But here's what Paul is saying. That doesn't mean that we need to be such a lovey-huggy group that we don't actually avoid people. Right? We want to have charity. We want to have love. We're called to love the world. But Paul says, avoid people. He's saying there are some people that we should avoid. It's interesting to me that he gives this, this warning because he actually says there are people that you should stay away from. They are the ones who, who are we to avoid? The ones who cause divisions. And it's interesting to me because if you remember last week, the name of the sermon was greetings because over 20 times Paul used the words greetings to express the relationships and the love that he had for all these people in Rome. I mean, like he was saying, all these people, I love these people, these are my friends. Well, this section immediately following our text is greetings that people are sending to the church in Rome that are not from Paul. So we know that Paul values relationships, right? He's given his life to the whole Mediterranean, to love them in the name of Jesus. And he's, you know, if we, if we trace the story of Paul through the letter, or for the book of Acts, we know that Paul was willing to sacrifice everything for people. Like when, you know, sometimes we say at a church event, was there a good crowd? And we're like, yeah, there was a good crowd. 
But usually crowds in the Bible are trying to kill Paul in the, in the New Testament, right? So crowds aren't always a good thing. They're after him. Why? Because he's proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and it's counter to their viewpoint. But Paul gives everything for the sake of the gospel to love people. That's what we've learned over the course of this study. And yet, Paul is saying, avoid certain people. Avoid certain people. The word means to stay away from them. Why? Because their teaching is false. And here's the thing. You don't have to just be in a classroom to experience teaching. You don't need to just listen to a sermon to experience teaching. We teach our viewpoint on everything every single day of our life. We're constantly communicating to people what we believe and what we value by how we talk about things, how we talk about people, by what we spend our time doing. That's our, our, our proclamation. Your sermon is your life. You're teaching something. And Paul is saying that we should be aware of those who are divisive. Are you sharing with the people that you live with and work with and go to school with and are in a relationship? Are you sharing with them the gospel of grace through your life and how you love and serve and speak? Are you teaching people about forgiveness and about mercy? Or are you pushing people away from Jesus and his body through the things that you say? See, in, in reality, there are uh, people who just aren't healthy for us to be around. Those that cause division, Paul says, in the church and in our culture. And I think there's a tendency for us to, to continue to go on with people who are divisive because we, we're, we, you know, we live in the South, right? We want to be nice, bless their heart, and we don't want to abandon them. But there's some point where you just have to let them go. And Paul says even to avoid those who are divisive. Now, this isn't like in the story of the Good Samaritan where there's a person who's broken down on the, on the side of the road who's been robbed and beaten, and the priest and the Levite see him and walk the other way. We're not talking about avoiding someone like that because we know with Paul's example and what the Bible teaches us that, that we are to move toward those who are broken. We're called to, to reach out to those who are different from us and to love them in the name of Jesus. We're not to avoid them like the priest and the Levite. We're, we're to be like the Good Samaritan, to go toward that person who's in need. And yet, but Paul is saying, those who are divisive, we should avoid. We should avoid them. Why is that? Why is it such a thing that he's saying to them? After this big, long love letter, verse 18, he says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. He says to avoid those who don't serve Christ, but rather serve themselves. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't be around people who don't believe the gospel and who don't know Jesus, who aren't part of the church. We're called, like Paul, to go out and sacrificially of our own life and time is to go and minister to and care for people who don't know anything about the church, who don't know anything about the Bible. We're called to engage with them in love, not to make someone a project, but to enter into people's lives and to find out who they are and where they are and what they're facing and struggling and to see if we can love and serve them in Jesus' name and then to say, hey, this is what Jesus is doing in my life. He can bring peace to yours. He can bring forgiveness. He can bring renewal. He can bring joy. We are called to do that. But we are to avoid those who claim to be followers of Jesus who are divisive. 
Those who don't honor Jesus, but they only honor themselves. And we've seen this. There are famous pastors who would be proclaiming a message, but living their lives out in a completely different way. Or there are people who are quarreling all the time, complaining all the time, not offering constructive criticism, be able to say, hey, how can we serve alongside one another and work through our disagreement? Because I recognize I've got blind spots in my life and you have blind spots and so we can work together to figure those things out. How do we do this together? Because we want to worship and serve Jesus. It's a critical, divisive spirit that says, oh, the church, oh, they just want to do this that way. There's no place for me there. I've been hurt by the church. And I would say most of us at some point have been hurt by the church. And maybe we've been doing some church hurting ourselves. But we can ask for forgiveness for the areas where we've done something wrong. And we can seek reconciliation and seek renewal. That's not being divisive. That's bringing healing. Those who use smooth talk and flattery for their own appetites. Why? Because they want attention brought on themselves. They want a platform or they want to, to have things go their way. You know, one of the great things about our, 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 our polity, the way we organize ourselves, we believe that the Bible calls elders to shepherd the congregation. And those elders are elected by the congregation. And I'm one of those elders. And we discern together, Lord, where would you want us to go? You've given us this great resource of the building. You've given us a great resource of the people. You've given us these financial resources. Lord, what would you have us to do? Let's discern that together. We all have ownership in that process. We want to be united. Now, that doesn't mean we don't disagree. We can disagree passionately about matters in the church, and that's okay. But we're not being divisive. There's a big difference because in the end, we're saying, what is the mission that God has called us to? It's to make known the name of Jesus and how do we do that most effectively? And we don't know how to do it most effectively. We're seeking to discern the will of God together as a community. But those who are divisive, Paul says, to avoid. He goes on, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Earlier he said, those who are being deceived are the ones at the hearts of the naive. Okay, so how do we uh, deal with the matter of naivete in our own lives? What are the things that we can do to be able to discern, is that a person who's divisive that I should avoid or not? I think it's an ongoing life of prayer so we can discern, Lord, who are the people that I should avoid if there are those that I should, and an understanding of the word of God. Like to be reading and immersed in the scriptures so that we would be able to see, like Paul can show us, who are those people? How do we live together in community? And it reveals to me that these are the ways that maybe I've done something that is incorrect or improper, and I can ask for forgiveness. Or I can say, Lord, teach me and show me so that we would be the kind of people that would create community, but that I'm not naive if I know what God's word says. And that's why we put such a big emphasis on teaching the word and creating space for you to know and love the word. He said to the church in Rome, your obedience is known to all. What a testimony that is to this church in Rome. They're all over the Christian community, all over the world. They know their faithfulness to the Lord. And what does that look like for us as a people? What does it mean for us to, to love? You know, I mentioned earlier that we, we baptize children in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're called to make disciples, to teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. That's what it says at the end of Matthew. 
Like the test of a disciple is do they obey their master? Not do you do what Matt says or do you do what your mom says, as important as doing what your mom says is, but do you do what Jesus says? If Jesus made you, if he knows you, if he saved you, isn't he worth obeying? Because you know what he's going to lead you to? Flourishing and joy. It may be difficult to obey Jesus sometimes, but he's calling us to, to do what he says because he knows it's the best thing for us. And there's joy found in walking with him. And yes, it can be really hard, but obedience is the test of our faith. Because guess what God's going to do? He is going to, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What does that mean? Well, we don't really know. But you know, Rome has been described um, as uh, the great prostitute. And what happened to that powerful pagan empire? It was conquered by Jesus. And it became the center of Christianity for many, many, many uh, hundreds of years. Is that what Paul is meaning when he says this? Can you imagine this small group of people thinking that this whole nation, this whole state is going to topple? because of our love for Jesus and our service to others, they couldn't have even imagined that. But maybe that's what Paul is saying, because why? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to be with you. Because when we seek to be obedient, we realize, wow, we really fail a lot of the time. And you know what? God's grace is there for us. He loves us, and he's called us by that grace. So if you walk in obedience, you can have the hope that Jesus is with you. What a powerful thing. Well, then the next section, in between the warning and the worship, uh, Paul outlines a few more greetings, and I talked a lot extensively about greetings last time, but I just wanted to mention these things. He says, Timothy sends greetings. Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, his kinsman, Sosipater. You know, Jason, you probably know a lot of Jasons. I don't know why Sosipater has not come back as a boy's name. Um, that's, that's a common one. Anyone expecting, we can put that in the, in the, in the deal for Sosipater. Uh, Tertius, Gaius, I knew a Gaius, Erasus, Cortus, more friends. Brothers, and we had last week sisters who were in relationship. The gospel unites us in relationship. And you know when I was talking about that unity in the essentials, diversity in the non-essentials? Boy, it's easy to focus on the non-essentials and to realize I'm really, really different from people. But if we focus on the essentials, that we've been saved by grace through Jesus Christ, and we're called into that mission, then even our differences don't make a difference. You think about uh, military, you've probably seen a lot of military movies, you know, it always starts out with guys going to boot camp, and they're all different, different races, religions, colors, creeds, different backgrounds, you know, you got the, the New York guy and the Southern guy from Texas, and they're trying to figure out how to get together in a relationship and work, work it out, but over time, through the training and the hardship, they realize they have a mission, and all those differences, even though they still, the guy from Texas doesn't stop being from Texas, the guy from New York doesn't stop being from New York, but they align their passions and their efforts and their energies to become one unit to accomplish their mission. What a glorious picture of the church, right? The differences that are had in this room, just from our own stories and our own political views, and yet we are here together to worship one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not to be divisive, but to come together as a family and to say, how do we take this message to the world? How do we love the people who are around us? Over and over again, Paul is just sharing with them this mission that's, that's in relationship. And then we finally come to the end of the letter, which is a, a doxology. What's a doxology? Uh, doxa means glory. And we're going to sing the doxology uh, later on uh, this morning. It means glory. A doxological statement is a statement about the glory of God. 
And the more we focus on the glory of God, the more God reveals his glory to us. And then we want to glorify him. And then we're united together. And so that's part of why worship is such an important thing. And I think I'm convinced that that's why Paul finishes this letter with a doxology. Because he's living in praise on behalf of the church in Rome for the glory of God the Father. Let me just read through these verses and add a couple of comments. Now to him, God, who is able to strengthen you, to strengthen you, to give you courage, to give you the will to fight in the midst of hardship and struggle, oppression, complacency, and discouragement. According to my gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus who has conquered sin and death, that he saved sinners, broken people like me and you from hell. And when you trust in his work on the cross and him crucified, you are justified, not by your works, but by his works. And at the preaching of Christ, the proclamation that Jesus is the king of the universe, that glorious kingdom that we're called to inhabit and to extend in this world around us. We're called to embody this way of life and to look to Jesus for power to live out and for direction as to how we're called to do what we're called to do, to experience and to extend the glory of God. According to the revelation of this mystery, this mystery, the gospel that was revealed to you, you didn't figure it out. God opened your eyes. He opened your heart so that you could see him. Did you move toward him when he extended grace to you? Do you experience the love that God has as he revealed his glory to you? This message is for uh, now disclosed to the prophetic writings, verse 26, that has been made known to all nations. Think about what Paul is saying. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a covenant member of the family. They, they did everything they could to be separate from the world. And now Paul gives his life to the, to the pagan culture because it's for all nations, for all peoples. One day, brothers and sisters, when we go to heaven, we're going to be in heaven worshiping God with people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. And part of our mission until that time happens is to share with people the good news of the gospel. We want to give every man, woman, boy, and girl an opportunity to hear this message, to have a chance to respond. He goes on, according to the command of the eternal God, we are to be proclaiming it. Why? To bring about obedience of faith. Because if God has created the world, he knows how it best functions. And he knows how men and women, boys and girls, are to best function. That's in agreement with his word for his glory. When people put their faith in Jesus, verse 27, to the only wise God, he receives glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And so the test of understanding of do you really know and love Jesus is are you willing to obey his commands? Not because he's going to love you because you've done it, but as a response to what he's already done through the gospel, which is his death, resurrection on the cross, his giving himself to you. Obedience is the true test. And we look at Paul's life, that's what he said he would do. I mean, he had it figured out. He knew all the answers, and then God revealed himself to him, and he realized everything that I thought I knew was there that God had taught me, but it wasn't true until I met Jesus. When we know Jesus, then he makes sense of our life. He gives us a path on which to walk, and Paul gave his whole life to that. You think about it. He said, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go wherever you go. I'll speak. I'll pray. I'll proclaim in difficulty and plenty. I'll live for you. Even when he's accused by his own people of disobeying God, he lived for the gospel, and he appeals to his Roman citizenship when he's on trial in Jerusalem. Right? There's this scene in Acts where he's proclaiming the gospel, and they're, they're wanting to put him on trial. And he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And they go, oh, wait, what? And he goes, I appeal to Caesar. 
So they lock him up, and then the last part of the book of Acts is this journey that he takes to Rome while this whole group of people want to kill him. He's on his way to Rome. And, and that journey itself, I mean, think about that journey that he went on. Shipwrecks and getting bit by snakes and being burned, all these different things. He was on a mission to go to Caesar to proclaim the gospel before the largest city in the world. Think about that mission. You know, in May, every year is when people make an ascent to Everest, the highest peak uh, in, in the world. And it's a fascinating thing to me. Uh, I read a book a while ago called Into Thin Air about a group of people that were trying to get up to Everest, and it was a really bad trip. There was lots of bad weather, and a number of people died. And so I've always been fascinated. I think about May, and I don't know if you saw this last year, there was a picture of just dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people trying to get to the top. Of the mountain. And it's fascinating to me the, 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 the extent to which people will go to train. It, it's extremely costly. And people even probably every year lose their lives on this trip to the mountain. And when the, kind of the standard thing is, why did you climb the mountain? Because it was there. And I think there's something really valuable in trying to do hard things. Pushing yourself to the limit mentally physically, psychologically. There's something good in that training and equipping. So I don't want to diminish what people feel like is their thing that they want to do that's really hard, because I like that. But I also think, what mountain am I climbing? What's the highest peak for me in my life? What's that thing that I'm willing to give everything, to risk everything, even my life, my money, everything? What's that thing that I'm giving myself to that gets me up in the morning that I say, I'm going to order my life around this. I'm going to give my passions and my ingenuity, my creativity, my resources. I'm going to give up things. What's the mountain that I'm climbing? I think for Paul, it wasn't Everest. It was the pursuit of Jesus and his glory. And for Paul, it meant that he was preaching and teaching and planting churches. What is your mountain that you're climbing? Because here's the thing, I think that you can be a teacher and climb the mountain for the glory of God. I think that you can be a salesman, you can be a doctor, you can work in an office and climb the mountain for the glory of God. Because what you do is you say, Lord, you've given me these tasks to do and these tasks are the way that I glorify you by acting in obedience in my office, by talking about forgiveness, by responding with grace, by saying, you know, hey, I didn't handle that really well, and I just want to apologize to you. Will you forgive me for how I messed up earlier? That's a testimony of grace. That's climbing the mountain for Jesus. You don't actually have to literally climb a mountain, although you can. Is your great purpose in life to honor the God who came to love and to serve you like it was for Paul. See, we don't know how it's going to turn out. Now, tradition holds that Paul was eventually, when he came to Rome, he was certainly in chains. And we believe that he actually died there, possibly uh, or likely being executed. But Paul gave his life for the glory of God, and that was the path that he had. He was willing to give up everything for this gospel message, for the sake of others and for the sake of the glory of God. What's the way that you can use the grace of God that he's given you to glorify him on whatever mountain that you're climbing? And hey, maybe you say right now, I feel like I'm in a valley. I'm really in a down place. I'm in a real struggle. I'm heartbroken. You know what? 
It's in the valley that things really grow. There's no uh, trees on the top of Everest. So if you're in the valley or if you're on the mountaintop, align yourself with the gospel. Surrender your life to Jesus just like Paul did and be used for him. Be a vehicle, be an instrument for the glory of God. That's what this letter has been about for the, for the uh, Roman church and for us because this community of faith was totally transformed. They transformed their city. And in part, the reason we're sitting here right now is because people who had been affected by the gospel passed it down and shared it with others. What a glorious thing that we stand in this heritage. We, we baptized a little boy this morning. He's been a member of the covenant family. His grandparents are here. His family, their friends are here. His church family's here. It's that succession of sharing the gospel from person to person. Will you climb that mountain with Paul? Will you climb that mountain with me in the way that God leads you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.